do appreciate the wonderful, beautiful worship. I hope you look forward to it. I think different people have different parts of the uh, service that they like, different aspects. And um, <clears throat> we're taking a break from our study in Acts today. And it's common that when we have communion, that we don't just kind of tag it on at the end of the service. It's common that we will give the message to that, sometimes the entire service. Uh, we will incorporate singing sometimes. We'll sing one song today and um, then even do some uh, reading of the scripture together as we observe the Lord's Supper. But it is going to be a unique service and if you're enjoying the series in Acts, um, I won't apologize for taking a break because I think this is going to be helpful for us. But really, I want to just point out two topics, two points that are going to hopefully help us as we come to the Lord's table. Many are familiar with what we do today. It's likely many of you have been around church for a while, maybe since you were a child and you are familiar with the cracker and the juice. This is something that's been going on for a couple thousand years. But I want us to remember that this did not begin with Jesus necessarily, what this looks like. Because Jesus, while he changed communion and made it something for the church that's been going on for a couple thousand years, Jesus, since his childhood, celebrated something that looked a little bit like this for thousands of years they would celebrate this. And at the Last Supper of Jesus Christ, he took some of the elements of the Passover feast and he took those and he turned them into something that today we commonly call communion or the Lord's Supper. Now, if you're not one of those that's familiar with this, you're probably wondering why we give it a name like Supper, right? I mean, I mean if, if you're not ready for it, you're going to get one little piece of cracker and a little tiny bit of juice. And so is supper a good way to describe that? When we talk about the Lord's Supper, this is something that we do to join together for worship as Jesus Christ commanded us. And as we look at this, we're going to see something that maybe you've seen again and again. And it's my prayer, and I want to pray right now. It's my prayer that it's not a time that we just go through the motions, because we're going to think about Jesus' shed blood, and that's, that's real, and his broken body. We're going to think about what he did for us, and we're going to think about him coming back for those that are his children. And so as we stop for prayer, I would like for you, you can tune me out if you want, as long as it's something you're praying to God and spiritual. Don't think about the game later on today or the food you smelled when you came in the door but I want to give you a chance to talk to God just for a moment. I will lead us in prayer. Would you bow with me? Lord, I think the devil hates this time when we join together, when we celebrate the victory on the cross, the beautiful message and song we heard just a little bit ago with the song Victory in Jesus where it says, somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. What a great way to describe it because we cannot understand it, wrap our brains around it, even though we would spend our life thanking you for it and studying it in your word. And I would pray now as we come to this time that it would be a time where those that know Jesus Christ would feel so loved and appreciated because of his sacrifice. And those that don't know Jesus Christ, hopefully this would be a planting of the seed of the gospel where they would realize they can have
eternal life and a purpose in this world that really means something. Or maybe it's the watering or the tending to that seed that's already been planted. Maybe today will be the fruit of that seed where someone's heard this and they will give their life to Jesus Christ today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement from it. I would ask that you would open our minds, open our hearts. May the Holy Spirit clearly work in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. While I say that this practice has been around for a couple thousand years, and what Jesus Christ did was based on something that was around for thousands of years before that, I want for us to point out something else that's been around for more than a couple thousand, more than 4,000. As we come to the Lord's table today, I want to point out something that's been around for six or 7,000 years. If you're one that has the Bible conviction that God created this world about six, 7,000 years ago, you're going to connect the fact that this has been going on since man was put on this world, since man was first tempted. And what I want to talk about today is the method that the devil uses to turn a person from the truth, and specifically two very effective lies. Now let me go ahead, and um, this is a little bit of shop talk here as far as what we do with the church. We put the name of our sermon out on the front sign, and so the name of the sermon is Two Effective Lies. And then I had two passages of, passages of Scripture we're going to be at. And so the front sign said, for a day, two effective lies. Romans chapter 8, Ephesians chapter 1. And the next day I had our office change that. Uh, the secretary said, you sure you want that as a title of your message? And I said, yes. But we did change the sign because they don't know what's going on in here. The devil has for years had a method and you can break this down different than me, but I think it's fair to say that he's had a method of turning people away from the truth. And the first thing that a person has to do is they have to believe in a lie. A lie is something that is contrary to God. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is truth. And something that is a lie is the opposite of God. And I think today we're going to see a lie that people that don't know Jesus Christ take in. And also, for those of you who follow Jesus Christ, there's a common lie that we take in. A second step to someone turning away from truth is they allow pride to come into that belief of that lie, and this will lead to rebellion. All that to take us to our text. If you turn to Romans chapter 8, please. Romans chapter 8. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1 in a little bit, so if you want to hold your place there, you can. Or if you want to get ready to punch in your, uh, in your device that quickly. Romans chapter 8 for now. When I say we will oftentimes give the service to communion, um, that can be challenging sometimes to not say the same thing again and again. That can be a challenge for us. I have a book in my office, in my study, that is uh, 12 communion sermons, and I think they were all preached by Spurgeon. And there are so many beautiful themes that we can talk about. So I'm not going to cover everything. In fact, I think with this first lie that I'm going to cover, some people will say, well, that's debatable, very possibly. In my 20s and 30s ABF group, later on, we're going to talk about that. Is this really that important? How much has God used this? And so maybe you'll have to be the judge for yourself if God genuinely uses this lie. 
Today I want to focus on two incredibly effective lies that the devil uses. And the first lie is this one. It's the lie to the believer. And it's a lie that God's love for you, so you're already saved, but God's love for you is going to be dependent upon your worthiness. Or can I even say your obedience? That should spark some conversation, maybe around the dinner table. God's love for you after your salvation is based upon your worthiness or your obedience. I think that most people, when they've been around a good Bible-preaching church long enough, they know enough not to say that I'm saved by being worthy. It comes through in the songs, doesn't it? I'm saved because I'm good enough. Most people learn I can't say that. That's not the case. But I think that oftentimes when we get past that time when we became a Christian, if you can remember when that time was, oftentimes we accept this lie that in order for God to love me or in order for God to love me more, that's, that's the debatable part, in order for God to love me more, I have to earn it. He's looking down upon my obedience and what I do and as he sees that, it's possible that he will love me more. A common lie of the devil is the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that applied to you when you became a follower of Jesus, when you got saved, does not apply in the same way to your current walk. Here's how we can sum it up. God's love for you cannot get any greater than it already is. God's love for you as his child, it cannot get any bigger. There is no partial wrath that he is going to pour out upon you because of a decision you made or a choice you made. And the reason I say this might be controversial is, is because this automatically goes to that, that um, argument people, people will make about, well, once saved, always saved, and it doesn't matter how I live. And we're not going to go there, but the fact is that kind of a person that would say that out loud or more importantly live like that, they don't truly have an understanding of the gospel and very possibly they have not experienced the gospel changing their life. God's love for you cannot get any greater than it already is. And this is the deception. This is a way that I put it into my kinds of thinking. I have had times in my life, and maybe you have had times, where we are thinking that God is going to love some future version of me better. I don't want you to raise your hand, but has anybody struggled with that? If I can just keep this going two years from now, if I get far enough removed from this of what I am if I can get there then maybe God will love some future version of me better that brings us to our text here in Romans chapter 8 I'll tell you what before I read this text let me give you an illustration okay um, and I think this text will uh, apply so well for this illustration when I was a kid I played a game not very much I can remember one specific game of uh, Red Rover Red Rover has anybody else here ever played the game Red Rover Red Rover raise your hand okay most okay I played one time in a seventh grade PE class at the school where I was at and as we played Red Rover Red Rover send whoever right over of course the goal is to have two lines and when a person runs across they try to break through that line 
I'm going to bust through those folks that are holding hands. And as they break through, if they do break through, then I think one person has to go to the other side. Anyway, you're trying constantly to either not get broken through or to bust through somebody else. Now, I know this might surprise some of you, but when I was in seventh grade, I had some substantial girth um, with me at that point. So I was a good-sized kid. I enjoyed this game. I mean, if I was given enough momentum, I felt like I could break through about any line. Having said that, when a person plays this game and they look at where they're going to break through, where did you used to aim sometimes? Yeah. Well, that little girl over there, I, I can surely bust her grip open. Or that one there, he, he's my buddy. He might let me through. The weaknesses, that's where we go for it. And maybe you have a picture of yourself going and maybe you even remember some weak kids. Shame on you for picking on weak kids, by the way. You can picture some weak kid and you would try to bust through that line because you thought you would have success at that point. I think that many of us, when we come to our walk and we have the devil bearing down upon us, and I think there's, if I can say this, two goals. He wants to keep people from coming to Jesus Christ and salvation. And for those who are saved, he wants to keep them from being effective. That's what we're going to talk about here. This lies to believers. He wants to keep you from being effective. And I think as the devil sees the line across there and as he sees you, did you do you know the devil is smart? Do you guys know this? Do you know how long he's been around? He has studied man and he has all kinds of assistance, those demons that are looking in on man and he knows where our weaknesses are and I think he sends things across to bust through that grip that we have on Jesus Christ and he sends them across things like maybe somebody else mistreating you. What do I mean by that? Maybe you've had somebody, maybe you've had somebody who claimed to be a follower of Jesus Christ mistreat you in a horrible way that you cannot explain away. And that would be something that, would, um, that the devil would send to try to separate you from this connection with Jesus. Perhaps that weak spot might be an addiction that you have. We're not going to raise hands here, but I know there are addictions in this room. It might be an inflated self-view. What do I mean by that? Well, perhaps you've gotten to the place where there's good people that have a specific opinion of you. And you, you kind of have to keep that going. You might let some people down if they know of this struggle or this past hurt or this weakness or this sin that's going on. So you have to keep that up. Maybe it's divorce. Maybe it's a sin that you just cannot seem to get victory over. I want to take us to Romans chapter 8 right now. And let me just say what I'm doing. I'm bringing us to the table because I think the devil oftentimes whispers in our ear a lie. A lie that tells you, don't you dare take that bread and that cup. Don't you dare think that God looks upon you with favor. I want to take us to Romans chapter 8 because it gives us all these things that I think the devil would try to use to separate us. Look at verse number 33 with me of Romans 8. We'll read down to the end of the chapter. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation 
or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Are you seeing the list here? You see these things that might discourage us. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Then another list. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. As we look at this text and as you look at yourself as a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to focus in on the idea that there is no condemnation for those who are his children. None. Jesus paid the price. It it points that out, right? Jesus is the one who died more than that, the one who rose from the dead more than that. And if you need a sweet picture to come to the Lord's table with today, use the picture of Jesus Christ as your intercessor. That beautiful picture of you and he standing before God the Father and God the Father looks at you as clean, as spotless. Not because you just happen to get victory over that sin, but because that sin is under the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no more wrath left for his children. Jesus took all the wrath for followers of God. And the reason that this is good is because what if you, kind of like me, what if you got saved and you still have this little bit of sin this pull, this desire in your heart. And we don't like to talk about those things, do we? Those are, those are negative things. Those are difficult things. And so what if you've heard that you're going to, if, if you get saved, you're not going to struggle with that anymore? What if you were saved in your youth and you still struggle with that rage, with that lust, with that pride? What if this is still in you, those things that we don't even like to talk about And at the sake of going long today, let me go ahead and just rabbit trail here for a little bit and just tell you, for those of us who are in this church family, in this church body, when people come in, we're going to talk about unbelievers in just a moment, but when people who don't know Jesus or have, you know, maybe they're saved and are baby Christians, haven't hardly grown, what they need to see is not individuals that seem like they completely have it all together. And I know this is debatable, okay? but they need to not walk into a place where everybody else completely has it all together. And they're like, man, there's no way in the world I can measure up to those folks. Because what you and I know is you don't have it all together. Now, I hope you've progressed to a certain point in your sanctification, your walk with God. And I think it does uh, get easier in a lot of ways. But having said that, if you want to have an impact on those that are coming in, on those that are watching you, they need to know that you struggle like they struggle in some ways. Like I said, I know there's different parts of this conversation, but that will have an impact when they look. Just this past week, I was was driving in my neighborhood and I was talking to one of my neighbors and I had my agenda in mind and I'm thinking this is what needs to happen. And I was ready for the common question response that we get, how are you? And the common response is, fine. How are you? And the common response is, fine. 
That's what I had time for. And I stop and I'm talking to my neighbor and, and I mean, no, no bones about it. They said, she said to me, she said, you know, I, my, my son died in the past year. Well, I'm not sneaking out at that point, am I? No, I didn't know that. And she started to have her eyes well up with tears. I know a little bit of this person's background, their church background a bit. I'm not sure if they follow Jesus Christ. But here's what I know. They are looking for someone who can relate with their brokenness. And I think that you and I, when we come to church, we need to be open to this because, I mean, for some people in some churches and some settings, it seems like everybody else, you know, they got saved and they just went to this stage of the Shekinah glory and just kind of hung out there the whole time they were in this world. And me, I'm stuck down in the mud. And I can't figure it out. And what happens when you get saved and you still struggle with bitterness? It didn't go away necessarily when you got saved. What happens when you get saved and you still have all these issues and it's then that you might believe this lie from the great deceiver? Sometimes it comes in this form. Get saved and then you won't battle anymore. Well, I'm here to tell you that I got saved and I kept battling. I kept doing. And what the lie will lead us to is people will think they have to go somewhere else because Jesus doesn't work for me. Yeah, I went to that church. I tried Jesus for a while. Jesus didn't work for me. And this is where we hold on to Romans 8. Praise God for what he's told us in Romans chapter 8. What is going to separate you from the love of God? You can thank him in a moment when we look at the the communion table. You can thank him that nothing can separate you because there's this lie that you need to go somewhere else. I tried Jesus and he did not work for me. And here's what God tells us in Romans chapter eight. Oh, no, 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 no. We'll work through this. That's what God says. You are mine. I have sent my son to pay the price and you are mine. Don't quit. I will not let go. There is nothing that can break through this line. I love the picture that God holds us in his hand and nothing, no power, no man, and you can go back over our text in Romans 8, nothing can take us out of God's hand. There is nothing so powerful that it can remove you from the love of God. And so what do we do with this? This idea that God's gonna love some future version of me better than he loves me right now. What do we do with that? Well, when that lie comes, God says, no, 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 we're gonna work through this. Keep getting on your face. Keep confessing. Get part of a community where you can do life together. Keep seeking after me. Keep walking. Don't give up. Get help. Get guidance, but do not give in. I will not let you go. And if I will not let you go, no one can condemn you. It says here, I do not condemn you. And if God cannot condemn you, who can condemn you? More than that, we have the picture of a court here, right? This picture of a court and the judge. And God says, I don't condemn you, so no one can condemn you. Even more than that, the picture we get here in God's word is, no one can even bring a charge against you. 
So think of the verdict being condemned. Before that, the charge. Not even a person can bring a charge against you. What court could they possibly charge you in? Everything is mine, God says. Here's what he's talking about. He's talking about that little voice inside of you that says you can't love God because of this little sin that you can't shake. You can't love God. This is the lie of the devil. And let me go ahead, and if you haven't already studied it out, let me tell you what God wants you to think about the devil because the devil will speak that lie to you. And as he says that, here's what you need to know. First of all, recognize that it's a lie. And second, recognize where it's coming from because God's going to say, do you know where that lie is coming from? You recognize the author of who's telling you that? Someday he's going to spend eternity in hellfire, a pit that has been prepared for him. I wouldn't put too much money on that one. That's not where I would put my confidence. Don't listen to the lie of the devil, the great deceiver. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? No one. It means that we're going to stumble on our walk, and you will stumble. And the Bible tells us that a just man falls seven times and rises up again, and that is not because you pulled yourself up by your own bootstraps. It's because the grace of God within you gives you the strength to continue on means that we stumble on the path of sanctification and Jesus holds fast to us. And then the devil is an equal opportunity deceiver. Quickly, if, you're, if you have Ephesians 1 marked there, I'm going to read a few verses from Ephesians chapter 1. <clears throat> the second lie is this. There is something available to you that is better than God's love. For you, there is something that is available, that's better than God's love. This is a lie to the believer. I know what some of you might be thinking. If this is to the believer, why are we reading a book written to a church? Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love you toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, Paul writes, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places? Do not miss this. The same power that rose Jesus Christ's human dead body from the grave is the exact same power that you and I have in us to get victory over these things. The same power that is working in us. In all of us? No. Verse 19 says, in those of us who believe. And so the very power of God, that the, of, of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, is working in you, restoring. And he is, don't miss this, he is breaking down and then he's building back up, and he is healing wounds. The same power that was at work in Christ is in those who believe. 
And what is this effective lie of the devil? It's this. It's very simple. Don't run to God when you have problems. Go look somewhere else. Head down to the big bookstore and just look at the top sellers and see whatever they're putting out there that's trying to make people whole again. The lie of the devil is go to another source to get fixed. And let me just say this in love for those of you, for those of you who are believers maybe who are leaning this way or those of you who don't follow Jesus Christ. The truth is this, you do not have anything intrinsically of yourself to fix yourself. You don't. You can't find the right method, the right book. You can't find anything within yourself to practice to fix yourself. What help do we have? It is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have the very power that raised the dead to empower us to have healing and have peace. This is what we remember when we come to the Lord's table today. And so if you are one who has never had a time in your life where you have given your life to Jesus Christ, you've asked him to forgive you of your sins and said, I want to follow you. I want you to be my God. I would invite you to make today the day of your salvation. I'm gonna ask our men if they would stand and they would come forward